with Cinemaker Steven Soderbergh. This is episode 25, Haywire, from 2011. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Tobin Addington. And you guys, this movie rules. I love this movie. The way that you guys gushed about the limey, I'm going to gush about this movie. Oh, good, good. I love this movie. Yay. Had you seen it before? Yes. Mm-hmm. But the difference this time, and we can get into this because it sort of feels like a couple movies lately. I, I just thought it was a great movie last time I saw it, the first time I saw it. But now it's really like this wonderful culmination of like everything Soderbergh's learned up to this point in his career and mastered up to this point in his career. Like I saw so many things from so many different places that all blend together into this wonderful, perfect, great action movie. I had only seen this once before, and I was kind of blown away by how great it is. I remember liking it when I saw it the first time, but I think you're right, Joey. Something about tracking Soderbergh's career and all of his films and his technique and everything, it is sort of like, to this point, just all of the good stuff he's learned on display together, like working together really well. So I was just blown away watching it again this time. I'm so glad to hear it. I, I came to this movie, well, the closest that I've ever been to having a feature script, entirely just my script produced as a feature film was in 2008, and it was called Haywire. And it was not this, it was, it was not this movie. <laughs> it was a different movie. But then that fell through. And so then when this movie got announced, I felt that combination of sort of envy and hatred and love and joy that Soderbergh was making this, you know, female centric action movie with a uh, with the title Haywire. So it's like, oh, God, I can never use that title again. Was your movie anything like this movie? No, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. I mean, it was a, it was the the, char- the main character was kind of like her once she had retired, but at the time was a guy. It played in some of the same areas, but no, it was a very different movie. So anyway, I came to this. I sort of dragged my feet to this movie only for that reason. You know, when you've been working so hard for a thing and it's been so close, and then it falls through. But then, of course, once I saw it, I really liked it. I don't know that I love it with the all-consuming passion that it sounds like Joey does, but I do like this movie a whole lot. I really like it. I love it. I think there's a few things that keep it from perfection on the line of, say, out of sight or something like that. But I still just had a great time watching it. I have this right now. as my third favorite Soderbergh movie. I have first is Out of Sight and then Ocean's Eleven and then this. So this is my favorite movie that doesn't start with an O. So that's important. I also want to put in context that the last time I saw this movie, I didn't know who Channing Tatum was. Because when we were going through this, and I was like, oh, Channing Tatum's in this, because we have Magic Mics, which you can now listen to the first few episodes, now available at cageclub.me. But when we were going through, I was like, oh, he was in Haywire? Like, I don't remember that at all. And he's like the second person you see. And so I just had no idea who he was. So it was that long ago. I don't remember. I think it must have been like when it first came to Blu-ray. I don't know why I watched this because I didn't know who he was. I didn't really care about, I've never cared about MMA. I heard about this from somewhere. I just don't know where. This movie's only like five or six years old, which amazed me. Like I couldn't believe how recent this movie was. And I also couldn't believe that of all the people, I think Channing Tatum's the only person I remember being in this movie. I had not heard of Michael Fast or at least oh, yes, was not no, tracking yes. his career when he was right. in this movie. Totally forgot about his face. But uh, all the other guys that show up in here, too, like this is a pretty deep list of uh, famous actors that co-star throughout this movie. 
you know, we've got Michael Douglas basically playing, to me, the same character from Traffic, sort of, same kind of look. We've got Antonio Banderas doing his Mandy Patinkin beard impression. Yes, yes, I was like, yes. is that Mandy Patinkin? Oh, no, I'm like, it's not, it's not, it's not. Uh, and then we got Ewan McGregor. But yeah, I didn't know Fassbender. This was the same year that First Class came out, I think, right? X-Men First Class. So he was definitely on the verge of something yeah yeah he had done that one movie with um steve mcqueen about the irish prison hunger hunger yeah and that was like critically acclaimed and everything but i don't know mass audiences were not introduced to him yet because when he showed up in this movie he was he's so like he's not big now but like he's thin in this movie and when when he he reminded me of when he showed up was like the second or third tier Bond villain, like the guy who works closest with the Bond villain or something, like his number <laughs> yeah, one assassin. Because yeah. I was like, is that? I'm like, it can't be. And then I looked, I was like, whoa, it is. So like, it was surprising to me there too. In the indie world, he was much more of a known quantity. He was in this movie Fish Tank, which was Andrea Arnold's oh, first movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Andrea Arnold of American Honey? Right, right. That should go uh, on your list, Tobin, of contenders. Oh, it, it is. Yeah, for sure, it is. That same year, he was in Inglorious Bastards. And then it was in 2011, he's in, in addition to the X-Men movie and Shame and this movie. And oh, a, Shame was 2011, too? Yeah, and A Dangerous wow. Method, his Cronenberg movie, and Jane Eyre. This was a huge, huge year for him. And, wow. and so so it was the year that broke him. But I think if, if memory serves, like he was still breaking when this movie came out, right? He wasn't a name yet, but it was within like months of this movie coming out. He was someone that people were you know, giving awards to. I don't feel like this movie was marketed with the strength of any of these established actors, that it was kind of all on, you know, come see this girl kick ass like Jason Bourne to the soundtrack of a Lost Oceans movie or something like that. David Holmes is back, yep. Yeah, like this is going to be like a modern international spy thriller with someone who really knows what she's doing, like as far as stunts and fights and all that and looks amazing doing it. She's so good in this movie. And there's a movie that Mike and I were talking about recently. She's another action movie called In the Blood, which I watched again, hoping for more of this. And it's so bad. Like, it's it's as good as this is, that is bad. There's some weirdness here. Like, I read that Laura San Giacomo, all the way back from Sex Lies, might have dubbed all of her lines in this movie. There's some weirdness going on. I read another thing, like this was on IMDb, and another thing on IMDb said that they pitched all of her lines down deeper to make her more menacing, but those things seem to conflict with one another completely, so I don't know what's going on. I mean, she's not an actress, but like in this movie, and it's something that we've seen throughout his career, like he makes the most of these people who aren't actors, or aren't actors by trade, and gives them stuff to work with, and like just the fact that like in the first scene, we have an MMA fighter and a former stripper, and, like, they're carrying a scene before it breaks into, like, a badass action fight, but, like, they're two of the big people in this movie, and, like, Channing had been around for six or seven years by this point, but, like, he's still not Channing Tatum of today, you know right, what I mean? Like, right. it's, they're both here, and, like, the movie we're going to do next week is Magic Mike, so, I mean, he's going to explode in a big way there, but, like, it's the two of them not really actors... The fact that they're able to both be so good in this is just, again, testament to what he can do with these people. The only possible evidence I may have as far as her, you know, lines being overdubbed or whatever trickery is going on there is that in the two other movies I'm aware of with Gina Carano in, which is one is a Fast and the Furious movie, part six, which he also kicks ass in. And the other is Deadpool, which he also kicks ass in. But I don't recall her speaking in either of those <laughs> movies. Like, honest to goodness. So I didn't see the one you mentioned, Joey. So I don't know if she talks in that and sounds any different. I think whatever they did or needed to do, I mean, it's fine. Like, it doesn't bother me that that had to happen. I think whatever they did worked. 
She is very menacing when she needs to be. And maybe it's Soderbergh. Maybe it's something he's able to draw out of these people as people and not actors and get them to just react in the way that he wants them to. You know, like, I almost feel like her direction was just be ready for a fight at any second. <laughs> and, and she knows what that is like being a professional fighter. So that's what I, the sense that I get out of her, like her intensity and everything just like comes through as real genuine. Oh, and there's some good uh, behind-the-scenes stories that we'll get into later about just how ready for a fight she was in this movie, so that's true. Yeah, In the Blood, I mean, it starts off, like, I think she and, like, a fiancé or a boyfriend or something go to, like, a South America or something for vacation, and then something happens. I don't remember if she gets betrayed or what. I mean, she's always getting betrayed in these movies, I guess. Something happens, and she has to basically fight her way out, and she speaks a lot in that. And I don't know, I don't remember her being bad, but I just remember the whole movie, especially hoping it would be more like Haywire, just not. So you can check it out. I think it's on Amazon Prime or something. Just watch this movie instead. That's interesting. You know, it's, as we've been saying, you know, as you've so well articulated here, he has such a way of getting performances out of non-actors or actors of different backgrounds or different styles, or you know, he's able to sort of get from them what he needs for whatever the movie is. And clearly that's a demonstration. And if, if you've seen other movies that she's in and she doesn't work and the movie doesn't work, you know, it's just sort of, I guess it's kind of confirmation bias on our part because we, we're Soderbergh fans, but, but that it does seem to be a pattern. I like her in this movie and I'm a little skeptical of internet rumors of people dubbing her voice or pitching it down or whatever. Some of that stuff may be true. Some of it may not be true. And Either way, the spreading of it may be a little bit like having to knock her down a little bit. Like, who do you think you are coming in and being in this movie? And, you know, which is a thing that happens to actors and actresses. Yeah, I think of like Ronda Rousey trying to act or another MMA star who's like way more famous, but for my money, just not nearly as good as, as something like this performance. Yeah, and, you know, they do things to augment actors' performances in all kinds of ways to make it more appropriate for the film. And anybody who's suggesting that it's because she's not good, I think, isn't looking at what this movie is. This movie's built around her strengths. It's built around what she yes. can do and what she does do. And I believe her in this movie. I believe she is this character. I'm not seeing her as someone walking into a movie and pretending to be this character, you know? Like, for the most part, I'm believing her as this character, which is which is all you need out of this movie. Well, because all this movie needs her to be is basically a jungle cat, right? Like, she's just this menacing presence who's just stalking through scenes, and she's an ex-Marine, so it makes sense why, you know, she's good at what she does. And as soon as she gets betrayed, it's sort of like the bride's roaring rampage of revenge. It's like, I'm gonna get everyone, and Mike, we have, maybe I think we probably have five guys here for conspiracy against her, right? She's gonna get every one of them back until they're all handled. She got screwed over, she got framed, she got betrayed, and some people have to pay. Everybody's got to pay. Everybody's got to pay. Everybody's got to pay. Loose ends whatsoever. And I think like four out of those five guys are on the cover of this DVD too. So it's <laughs> cool to like when you're done with the movie and go back and you're like, oh man, it's right in front of your face. I also, I just love, like, a good revenge flick. I mean, I know Lem Dobbs is back, and, and he did the limey, right? And this is much more of the kind of action you would get from, like, a Death Wish, like I mentioned on that show, you know, what the limey is sort of, like, hearkening back to, uh, but in a much different fashion. This is much more straightforward action-type stuff that we get nowadays with, like, Jason Bourne a lot. But the difference, I feel, is how much better better the fighting is shot in this movie yeah like the action is just so well staged you know you can read it so clearly and it doesn't cut around it at all like you get in a lot of like kinetic modern editing 
Yeah, it's true. And you see their whole body. I love old swashbuckler movies. And I love the old Errol Flynn, you know, pulling his sword out and fighting his way across the, the castle. And when they're doing that, they're shooting that full body. You see these people in long shots able to do some of this stuff, able to swing from chandeliers and, and fence and all this. And you compare that to the way a lot of this kind of fighting or in, the say, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the sword play is handled where it's all just chopped to hell. And, you know, because they're cutting in doubles and but even if they're not or even if it was a double, you don't get to see the athleticism, right? It's all movie magic. And this, the way this is staged, the action in this is so organic to the characters, to the moment and to the scene. And you get to actually see it. Like you see them battling one another, her and whoever she's fighting. And that's, there's something really satisfying about being able just in a very, as you say, Mike, in a very kind of clear way to be able to see them doing this stuff. Yeah, it reminds me a lot at times of like Jackie Chan fights too, where she would sort of integrate her environment or things around her too as well. I'm just very happy with the camera work in this movie. What's also kind of interesting about this movie that I totally forgot until they cut back is that most of this movie is flashback, or at least half this movie is flashback. Yeah, it catches up with itself, yeah. Yes, she's telling the story of like what happened. So when in this flashback, when they actually rescue Jang, who we find out later is a reporter, when they rescue Jang and they sort of get shot at and then she chases that guy down, like that is so cool because he's running away from her and he's like dodging out of the way of cars and she's literally like running over cars. Like they're stopping, she's just running over the hood, which is great. But of all the shots, of all the action in this movie, the one that's like, burned into my brain is when she finally catches up with that guy and she like i don't even know how to describe what she does she like uses the wall just like to help take him down like she just yeah. like yeah. it's a real matrix move yeah, it's yeah. matrix in real life yeah. yeah but it's real like it's not like wire work like it's probably just her right. just being a badass like it's just so good and everything in this the fact that they're showing the full bodies and they're not really cutting away like you can't hide things like these are these people and she's able to do this obviously but like the guys are like sort of holding their own too i mean they're not mma fighters but channing and fastbender i think are pretty much holding it down i I think that if it was on the streets like they wouldn't have a chance against her but you know (laughs) in this movie where they're all sort of trained killers or whatever like they're all brutal sort of evenly matched battles yeah, and I, and I feel like just from the audience perspective, she's immediately sort of powered down to a degree just because she's fighting men, and just my mind is just programmed from watching action movies to think that the man is the strongest guy in the room, and, and this is definitely a movie that shatters that convention, you know, and I'm saying, like, you know, like anyone can just explode, like, you just have no idea what people are capable of. But you know Channing Tatum is a non-fighter in real life, but, like, he is definitely selling all of these hits in the diner. And, like, Fassbender in the hotel room. Like, that fight feels brutal. Yes, yes. Um, There's just, like, a realism to it. I think part of it also is, like, everyone always kind of gets to jump on her. Like, I don't know if that's a tactic of hers is to let someone get the first punch in or not, but it always kind of happens as just, like, maybe a flaw of her style or something. But I like that it's there because it shows that, like, she's not perfect. She's also flawed, but she's, like, more of a Terminator. She just has more tenacity to her and more of, like, a reason, I guess, to, to make it through this gauntlet than anyone else standing in her way. The thing that struck me this time about her character is how smart she was, intuitive she was, which I, not to say that I didn't think she was smart before, but I hadn't noticed the first time I saw it after she realizes that Fassbender's bad and they're walking back in the hotel, back to their hotel room right before this fight starts. And as they're standing outside her door, we get this shot like from the knees down as she takes off her high heels. And at the time, and she's playing it like, oh, I'm, my feet are so tired, I have a long night out, I'm finally home, I'm taking off my high heels, because we, we see her face then after that. I did not realize the first 
two or three times I saw this movie, that that's her playing for him. Because as soon as he hits her, as soon as he goes after her inside, she stabs him in the thigh with her high heel. She's getting weapons. That, that's what that whole moment is about. And then once you realize that, you see her sort of laying traps for these people all through until, until the big fight that she has in the in her dad's house, where she's clearly like booby trapped the whole place. Like she has yeah, she has everything on. figured out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, just to be able to see that she's cagey about all that stuff too. That sometimes she's taken by surprise, or sometimes she just doesn't know quite when it's going to happen, but she's ready for it. And there's something very satisfying about that. Well, I feel like I don't know that we're, I'm not I'm making a point that I really want to make here, but in terms of like the way that women have to deal with this male presence in the world and always sort of have their guard up, right? Like right. I feel like she's sort of emblematic or representative of that in that she can hold her own. Like she doesn't have to really worry about a guy because she can defend herself, but you know she's there and just she's ready to fight back when needed. It feels like, as we see several times in this movie, and I'm sure lots of times in this character's life before the movie began, you know, she was in a position like that where she had to defend herself. And, like, it feels like she doesn't want to be aggressive, but knows that she can be if she has to be. Yeah, she's ready to to flip on the switch. And I think that you're talking about the way that the movie was marketed. I think that the time for this movie is probably now. Like there's something yeah. there's something very very satisfying as we as we record this episode in can I say it's in November. As we record this episode in at the end of 2017 about seeing this woman and knowing going into these fights that she's just going to lay waste to these guys. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cakewalk for her. She's going to have to really sweat and and work at it. But that there is something very satisfying about seeing that reversed. And I wonder if you sold the movie as it was sold then, but did it today, if it would reach a wider audience just because some people are more ready, uh, more primed for that kind of thing. I wonder, I wonder if they may, if this movie may have a, like a second life via cable or whatever because of this, because it is very, very satisfying, I think. Well, I think it would definitely do gangbusters these days, like Haywire 2, like just, you know, Soderbergh's out of retirement, Yes, you know. Gina's working a lot, but she, you know, she went toe-to-toe with Colossus, and people have not forgotten about her. (laughs) Like, you know, I think that movie helped rediscover her a little bit as well, Deadpool. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, this feels to me like what they would want to do partially with, like, a Black Widow film with the Marvel universe, you know? exactly. It it wouldn't be nearly as cool as this. It would be super watered down, but it would be along these lines where she's, like, out of... I feel like she'd be out of costume sneaking around the world. Well... So another name we could throw in there for a Haywire 2, and it's similar in a lot of ways, it would be like a Ronda Rousey, who is also MMA, who's also been in movies, who's also in the Fast and Furious franchise. But like, I feel like if somebody wanted to make that, have I, have we talked about her? Like, I feel like I've maybe mentioned her on this podcast before. I don't know. Because she wants to be an actress, I think. I mean, she was in Furious 7, I think. And she was in the Entourage movie. Who can forget her in the Entourage movie? Oh, Yeah. I say bring Gina back though, like. But I know, but like you could like you John could do Witt something style. with you could do something with her though too. You know, like maybe oh, as right. like a villain. I don't know, or just you know they team up or something. I don't know. Mm, team up would be cool, triple X style, like the movie Triple X. Not sorry, I'm gonna <laughs> edit around that. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Like a while ago, you know how like wrestlers were like sort of wanted to cross over. Like we have like Hulk Hogan in Rocky Three, and then John Cena's in everything, and obviously The Rock is in you know a movie star and everything. And now Jumanji. that wrestling is less popular, which is supposedly good, Jumanji. I mean, you uh, you have all have seen it because we're this is coming out in March. You're in the future. We're in the past. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Now that like wrestling isn't as popular, and now we're in the world of MMA, Gina Carano is a crossover star. Ronda Rousey, I think, is trying to be like. I'm surprised that like Conor McGregor isn't a movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's this untapped potential, I think, there for athletic 
people, I was going to say athletic actors, but I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, athletic personalities to be sure, like showmen and show women, you know what I mean? And like, they yeah. know how to keep attention. They know how to perform in front of a crowd or a group or something like, I would love to see more movies and just see if it works because it works so well here. And I feel like in some things, Ronda Rousey can be good. I don't know. I mean, Haywire might be the high watermark. I don't know. But like, let's try more of this with directors who know how to handle that kind of talent because like, this is so good. Yeah, it's true. And it's it's fun to see the way she approaches and the way that Soderbergh approaches the different fights in this movie and the different characters like the the each of the men that she fights has their own kind of style she has a different you know she has different relationships with all of them right with Channing Tatum she at first it seems to have like be completely immune to his charms and then like goes for his belt and like has or presume after the mission yeah once the mission is over then she can have sex with him and then ends up fighting him and then at the end ends up sort of being on his side again in some like strange way him like almost right well, trying yeah, to save him and yeah. trying to save him and you know and, and the Compared to the Fassbender one where she's pretending to be with him and they, they have this great kind of fizzy chemistry, you know, as they're sort of sneaking around this big fancy house until she realizes he's betrayed her. And then the very personal fight she has with Ewan McGregor at the end, like they all they all feel very distinct and well suited. Just as Soderbergh is suiting the movie to her, he seems to be suiting these fights to these guys, too, to these men. And I think that that, you know, if, if you didn't put that much thought into these characters, then any movie that's just her fighting isn't going to be as satisfying is one that sort of wraps it all around uh, around these compelling characters. Because you don't need, I don't think you need a ton of storytelling to have a good action movie, but you need some. Like you need some kind of framing, even if it's all it's framing. And like just like dropping a like a battered woman in the middle of the jungle and letting her fight out. Like yeah, it could be cool, but like it's not this. Like we're not going to care about it in the same way. Right. And I think that like this movie, you know, as an action movie, maybe has too much story. If that makes sense. I mean, if you just want an action movie, this probably has too mm-hmm. much story for you. There's too much espionage, too much spy stuff, too many betrayals. But if you're looking for an action movie with something more, I think this is exactly in that sweet spot. Yeah, you do have to pay attention to this movie. This is not a movie you can just sit back and let wash over you. Like, you could, I guess, at at certain moments. But if you want to unravel exactly what's going on and who's betraying whom and who's on what side, you do have to pay attention. Although what is good, I think, about this movie is that, like, in two different scenes, they kind of, like, break everything down, like, so this is what happened, right? It feels like, hey, like, let's just catch people up just in case. It's nice to be like, oh, right, like, okay, I was following. Okay, we're, we're good. Like, let's, all right, now let's have another asking scene. I think you said it, Joe. I think, like, if you're looking for action and something more, like, this is exactly what you want. Like, you could go and get action close to this with a mind-numbing plot, you know? Like, there's hundreds of Cobras out there. I love Cobra, <laughs> right. uh, but there's a time and a place for I don't need 12 Cobras uh, on my DVD shelf. But this does have, like the smartness to it like i mean it's not the most complex story in the world but it just by nature of being um you know a spy thriller is going to have a few sort of twists and turns and I, and i think what makes it seem like sort of more complex than it is is the framing device but that also works in explaining the film because she is telling the kid she carjacks right she's like explaining to him why she's in trouble why we're being chased what's going to happen if you need like protection an alibi whatever uh and then later on throughout the movie we're going to get bits and pieces it's almost like oceans 12 style it's not until mm-hmm. the very end when someone sits down and explains the entire ruse like then we finally know uh, what is actually happening and i i love that about it i love that it can like engage you with more than just the action like it it's almost like a bait and switch it's like come check out like these cool fights but stay for this slick mystery 
And it gives us a reason to care about the action. That's the thing I like about that is that is that it provides us with some some emotional and sort of and thematic and plot reasons to invest in the fights. Where then the fights can then they can just turn on the gas, right? Then they could the fights or the car chases or whatever it is, they can really let them rip. In the same way that they, sometimes they do that in the Bourne movies too, where you really do care about what's going on, and that that you're tracking them these characters emotionally, and then the emotional stakes of the fight are as important as. The the, as the physical ones, and they, they just shoot these ones in ways you can really tell what's going on, which is part of what makes it, you know, so so good. Oh, and speaking of the Bourne movies, real quick, I mean, obviously this movie, I think any movie like this is going to love the Bourne movies, and especially Soderbergh, being so close to Matt Damon, is going to love the Bourne movies. But that book that she gets, Desert Assault, that her dad wrote, yeah. her dad's name is John Kane, which is an alias used by Jason Bourne in those movies. And so oh, it's a little bit wow. of a nod to those, which is kind of a, kind of a cool little touch. I'd love to imagine that he's playing Jason Bourne. Yes. This is his daughter. That's fantastic, especially <laughs> since he's so understated and just plays it off so well. Like, oh, that'd be so great. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. I had completely forgotten Bill Paxton was in this movie. He was, I was so happy to see him show up. And then you're right. He, he just he downplays everything. He's just the dad, you know, but the idea that maybe he was Jason Bourne. I love that. That's that's really, really fun. What I like about his character is that we don't meet him until the end, really. And she just basically explains everything off camera. But she's like, no, I got it. Like, I, I'm good. He doesn't need coaching. Like, he's been here yeah, before. Yeah. So he probably is Jason Bourne. <laughs> it's like he knows how to talk to these people. He knows how to lie to these people, more importantly. He knows how to sort of buy time for her. I mean, he's wearing, I think, Marine cap or something, right? So, like, well, he wrote it, that book. So yeah. You know, he knows a thing or two about military tactics and stuff. I love that moment because it's the meet the boyfriend moment. It's like one of the greatest meet my boyfriend moments ever. <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's meeting Ewan McGregor for the first time, but Ewan McGregor doesn't know that Bill Paxton knows who he is and that he's like even been dating his daughter or any of this kind of stuff. And so he's playing a part and Bill Paxton sees like right through it, but it's just so hilarious. I'm sitting there going like, it's almost like a romantic comedy, just <laughs> meet my new boyfriend just in the most horrible circumstances. <laughs> totally. And that role was originally cast to Dennis Quaid, Zack Attack Zeffy's oh. nominated Dennis oh. Quaid. There would be some of that like father issue stuff coming through because he seems a little closer in age to Bill Paxton. I don't know how old Ewan McGregor and Bill, they could be the same. No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm saying Bill Paxton was originally Dennis Quaid. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What I really like about Ewan McGregor's role is I don't really ever kind of consider him to be like a Weasley little prick. And he does well, that Fargo, like, amazingly man. in this. Yeah, but he's playing the two brothers against themselves and stuff. I got it more here, I guess, than in Fargo. I forgot about Fargo. He's fantastic in that season. I could definitely see, I mean, this is obviously years before Fargo, and I'm, I, I, I'm sure I've seen him in a ton of things, but I can never really place him. I mean, Mike, it's got to be the hair. I don't know what else could be. But <laughs> I wish they could train spotting. Even before Obi-Wan, I go to train spotting. I saw parts of his Fargo characters in this, just like the attempt at manipulation, like that type of control that I think I'm smarter than you, but I'm probably not actually smarter than you. Like that sort of I'm in power, but like I'm talking down to you, even though I shouldn't be like it's this very specific type of character that he's playing that I saw in Fargo and I saw here and just like he nails it in this. Yeah, his slipperiness is not something. Well, I, I guess that's not true. That's not true. I think back to Shallow Grave. That's the first thing that I remember him in the Danny Boyle movie, where he goes from happy-go-lucky to like <laughs> Hitchcockian death and misery and betrayal. And what works so well about that is that his charm kind of 
plays through all the, the horror. That works here too. Like he's a charming guy. He's just also a real weasel and worse, right? Like, I mean, he's, he's basically contracting her death, you know? I totally agree. I think he plays that really, really well here. Do you want me to sort of reveal maybe the one minor and I do mean this as minor, but minor complaint oh, I have about this movie. Yeah, more. I got some okay. too. Yeah. I think it's a, just a little montage crazy. Like it just mm-hmm. goes a little overboard when we're going to like a new location with all of the insert shots. Like I get it because it's cool and it's fun and I'm, I'm kind of used to it. It's part of his style and I think it really works because he's really good at just like opening up a location and really establishing it so you know like everything you need to but uh watching this i think by like the third or fourth city i was like okay like just give me like a couple landmarks and i'm good to go but uh i don't know that was just one of the things about it that didn't get on my nerves or anything but it just kind of like jumped out at me this time where i was like i think he went a little overboard yeah, I could see that. One of mine is that the music to me, I don't always love the music in this movie, which is odd because the music in so many of his movies, I, I think is just spot on. And I, I, I don't know, I don't want it to be a more conventional thriller score because I like the fact that it's a little more fun. I think that's a good note. It Sometimes it just felt a little jokey to me in a way that I think was less effective and sort of took me out of the moment the movie had seemed to be working so hard to put me into. Do you guys feel that way at all? There's a few different composers that he works with over and over again. Like this is David Holmes who did the Oceans movies, did a couple other movies. But he there's also you know Cliff Martinez. I think that like Cliff Martinez might have been a better fit here. Like there's that one that scene I was talking about earlier where she's running, she's chasing after that guy. I noticed the music and it was just like I said before on here. Like I don't normally notice the music, but I noticed it there and I was just like oh. And I think it was because like I didn't dislike it, but it sort of was like not what I was expecting to hear. And I was like I paid attention to that instead of the action on screen, which I don't think is the intent. Right. And I don't have a problem with it, but I can see why there's probably room for improvement there. I also felt that it called it attention to itself from time to time. I mean, I did love the music, but it did feel out of place in this film in moments. I felt like it it was a little too positive, like it was a little too upbeat, maybe. Like it needed a little more sort of like minor notes or like uh, a downbeat to it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it need, I needed to get the sense that things were a little more shady. Like that's almost what it felt like when the music kicked in, like no more trouble, things are under control. Because like it's the kind of music you would find in the Oceans movies, but like those movies are made that like nothing bad is going to happen to any of these people. And like I feel like in this movie, it's important to sort of give you that reassurance that, yes, she's going to make it out of here alive. But at the same time, Time, things don't always go well to her like she gets betrayed like she gets like her ass handed to her like in a bunch of fights not that she loses but like you know she's she goes through the ringer time and again yeah, she yeah. gets shot she gets deer. arrested oh, like yeah the deer, deer the, that's nice. crazy yeah. the deer is cool she's not danny ocean sort of or or rusty skating through life right. unscathed right like she is in it and i think the music overall when you find out that like in the end her dad lives right she lives she gets revenge on everybody in the end, pretty much everything works out, right? Like, things are good for her in the end, but, like, to get there, it shouldn't feel like everything's working out. Yeah, the only other thing that I thought of, which is the way I just sort of rationalized it, is that, you know, this is her telling her story to this kid who's going through, like, basically <laughs> a carjacked in the front seat, repairing her gunshot wound, just traumatized, and he's hearing this crazy story, and I almost imagine she's, like, 
putting more of like an action twist on it to put him at ease or to engage him and like this is like her theme music to that or something because it almost feels like superhero theme at, at one point or, or something like you know as soon as I start yeah. kicking ass like my chorus starts <laughs> and everything is you know like don't worry kid like I survived this like obviously I'm in the car with you. <laughs> Well, that's what's kind of crazy is that when the movie catches up to itself, you're like, okay, she can't die in the story because it's a story. But then as soon as we're back in the present, you're like, oh, no, like anything can happen now. Yeah, stakes are definitely raised, right? I didn't, that never really occurs to me until the deer, right? And I'm like, oh, right. I keep forgetting it's flashbacks because we only cut back, you know, every so often, very shortly. And she's like, remember the names, remember the names. And then when we do cut back, it's right away we're getting into an accident and it's like the shit hits the fan immediately again. You know, she has to take out a whole bunch of troopers, and it's, yeah, it's just nonstop. The threat is just ever-present. Like, when you know that she can die, the threat is ever-present, so. Right, right. And and there's a thing that, you know, the kid in the car, Scott, <laughs> reminds me, one of the things this that this movie, other things this movie does do well, is the very often the people around the fight, when there are people around the fight, they react as people would, you know, like sometimes in the very often in an action movie, the people around the fight will either just sort of run and scream or just sit there and watch. But you have, and in this case, especially in that first fight, I'm thinking about the one with Channing Tatum in the diner, where, where when they see that Channing Tatum is like smashing her around and kicking the shit out of her, one guy jumps on him trying to hold him back and a lady like smacks him over the head with her coffee pot like a waitress, you know, like they engage themselves in the fight with <laughs> with these people in ways that feel like, yeah, that someone's like in this little small town is doing the right thing to you know protect this lady not knowing this lady can totally handle herself and i think that that extends to to scott in the car i did have the note here in my notes that i don't know why she's telling him all this and it does get explained that she wants him to know and he's going to call and there's going to be someone else who knows what's going on it does feel a little bit to me like a little hammy a little bit like movie moments as opposed to the rest of the thing i i don't love the framing story of her telling this kid all the stuff in the car you know one thing I like about the script is that Lem Dobbs, as always, as with, with Kafka and the Limey, gives Soderbergh room to direct. You know, like there's a lot going on, but he's not getting in the way of, of what Soderbergh can do. I think that they're a really good match that way. But I do think that sometimes it doesn't serve, I don't know, I don't think it's as, as seamless this time. I like it conceptually, but did feel just slightly wonky to me because the first time, and I remember this watching it again, that I had this feeling the first time watching it, I thought that he was her target and that she was trying to keep him alive and that's what the movie was sort of going to oh yeah sort of end up being about that she was like globe trotting and there was all this stuff and it all came back to this kid in the car and it doesn't and so that sort of threw me for a loop I was like oh like he's not part of like the mission or anything like he literally is just getting carjacked by her so that she can make a fast getaway which is fine which works you know in yeah, and of itself yeah. too which is cool and everything uh but I guess I was just had different expectations the way it was all laid out like maybe it's because of she's explaining you know I think that's where it came from like she was explaining everything that had been going on it's like why would he need to know unless it was important to him and ultimately it's not you know as far as the story is concerned as far as greater scope of the movie and everything so that did throw me for a loop well I'd much rather have it this way than have you find out that either he is her target or somehow she's his target you know what I mean like that would just be such like an unnecessary reveal that I'd rather it be she's telling him like what would be better though like would like her talking to Bill Paxson on the phone have worked better 
no, we don't need her telling anybody. She's just driving in the car with him. And he keeps asking her questions and she tells him, no, I'm not going to tell you. And then we see it, you know. And he can be kept in the dark. Right. Yeah. Or she tells him a little bit and then we see what really happened or something. I don't know. I just, it feels to me like you just don't need, need her to be telling the story. I do love the moment though. After they've been caught, she's like, it turns out purposefully gotten caught by the uh, state troopers and they're, and they're driving her like to meet the feds. They get the call that they should go meet the feds. And she very politely says to the trooper, like, listen, there's going to be guys, they're going to come for you, and these are not who you think they are. And they're like, yeah, 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 ha ha, we got it. And then, of course, they show up, they get there, and the guys just immediately, the troopers immediately get blown away. Like, they're just shot down. And she <laughs> she not only kills the guys who've come to kill them, but then as she gets in the other vehicle, there's Scott, right? Like, there's this kid, and they have this yep. little kind of reunion in the in the car. It's like, it's, his day isn't over yet, you know? And I, I did like that moment. I thought that was handled really well. All he should have done is slept in a few hours like he wanted to, and he <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have had his car totaled. He wouldn't have been arrested. Like, none of this would have happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely glad that it didn't end up involving him, and I think that twist, or that non-twist, is just another way that this movie doesn't follow sort of the conventional thinking, you know what I mean? So, like, I was the one with the expectations, and the movie was like, no, 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 Mike, it's not that type of movie. It's <laughs> right, better than right. that. So can I point out what I saw in this movie from other movies? Yes. A couple different pairings I thought were reminiscent of other things, both Clooney-related. I thought uh, Gina Carano and Channing Tatum were sort of reminiscent of Out of Sight, of J-Lo and Clooney a little bit, sort of like a poor man's version of that. Later in the movie, when she pairs up with Fassbender, I was like, oh, this is kind of like Danny Ocean and Tess, like George Clooney and Julia Roberts a little bit. A classier version, because they're, you know, they're dressed up to go out or whatever. But we also know from that movie, and also from Aaron Brockovich, that Julia Roberts in the Soderbergh universe the Soderverse, can hold her own. And so I think that sort of worked there, too. I think, like you were saying earlier, Tobin, about Lem Dobbs giving him room to direct, this movie sort of really, like, it chooses when to use words, I think. Like, there's, mm-hmm. and maybe that's sort of like what you were talking about earlier, Mike, about the montages. Like, maybe there's too many of them. But, like, I feel like the selectivity with words really works here. That it's sort of a quiet movie, and that they sort of let the action do the talking in a lot of places. It's also coded in that way that I feel Soderbergh likes to, whether we're going to talk politics or spy talk and this definitely has some spy lingo in it and everyone it speaks a certain way because they're all in the business and i did i noticed that too that was really cool i was like i understand what's going on but i don't know exactly what they're saying but i get what they're talking about yeah it could almost be a silent movie another thing i noticed like right from the jump is that this is very tinted blue very heavily blue i mean it's upstate new york we don't know where it just says upstate new york but it's cold but it's blue it's a very sort of distant detached movie which brings i think the most noticeable one that he did probably in terms of the color coding might have been traffic right and so that's another sort of michael douglas connection there when all through i remember back in the underneath there's all those the color stuff that runs through a lot of the movies yeah Oh, I got a big, I got a, I saw a huge connection, not just like a Soderbergh, but a Lem Dobbs yes. connection. It's massive. At the end on the beach, <laughs> yeah. it's the same ending pretty much as um, oh, the line. The Terry Valentine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, where someone trips on the rocks and catches their ankle and confesses. <laughs> and then are left left to the surf there. Yeah. I didn't even think about that because I just I just couldn't stop laughing at like him trying to run away and like <laughs> his thought is to scale the mountain. Yes, like yes. basically you can't climb and she's like, what are you like basically it like, doesn't say anything but like what are you doing? And she's like grabs him down and throws 
I love, and I think what you said earlier, Mike, calling her the Terminator is great because, like, a couple times in that scene, like, he just keep, he keeps running away from her, and just a couple times, she just walks after him. Like, I know you're going to do something stupid. Like, I don't need to waste my breath to catch up to you because, like, you're going to trip and fall over rocks or, like, you're going to try to do something dumb and I'm just going to catch you. I'm going to take my time. This is where you end. Like, this is the end of you. Yeah, and I also feel like it's almost a sense of panic striking him, which, like, yeah, she yeah. never panics the entire film, but, like, all of her prey do. Like, when they know the end is near, like, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they sort of, like, slip up or something where she gets the upper hand, and they, they can't believe they're going down like that. I have a few other notes that I really liked. I like that it's a real gender reversal that Scott, you know, the guy she's talking to, like, he's the damsel in distress in this movie. She also kind of, like, it would be the equivalent of, like, the knight in shining armor, like, bringing a princess into battle and being like, oh, I gotta get you out of here. Like, it'd be, like, that doesn't happen, but, like, you know, she gets into this mess, but then she's like, I need to get you out of this. And, like, he's just there, like, he's no help to anyone. Like, his literal, the only thing he does for her is he lets her use his car. Like, that's well, he that's it. up her arm. She gets shot in the arm. I mean, he, he digs out a bullet. She's just, like, telling him what to do. He's basically following a recipe. And, like, she yeah. could do that, I think. It's just, like, she has to pull over and do that. Yes, he does that, but, like, I don't want to give him too much credit for that. <laughs> what I love about that moment is that in the normal gender role version of this, it's at night, they've stopped somewhere, they've dyed their hair, they're in a bathroom, the the warrior man is is sort of unguarded and vulnerable, and she comes in with the basin of water. And That scene is literally in Justice League. Batman's busted, and in comes Wonder Woman to dress his wounds. Right, and then they either hint at you know a physical intimacy or they or they achieve it or whatever like it's even in things like the first born identity movie like you see these scenes and i and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but it's really refreshing to see that scene not just be sort of gender flopped but then you flop like he has no ability he he wouldn't know what to do like she's literally telling him step by step what to do and that's again it's very it's a very satisfying sort of wink at us if we know what, what sort of what we're seeing yeah, or if, if you were watching uh, Mr. John Veek, Mr. John Wick, which I love, and it's Keanu, but, like, you know, he would basically, like, pull the bullet out himself or something <laughs> and then just keep shooting guys in the face. So, like, <laughs> that's great for what that is, but this is cool because of these little touches. One thing I really liked, I wish there was a little bit more of, but I really like because I can't think of anybody else who would be able to do this. There's that scene where she's getting chased up that building by the SWAT guys, the Garda guys, whatever she's like throwing all those chairs down the stairs for them to have to jump over to get to her and she just picks up a folding table like while she's yeah. running up the stairs picks up a folding table and like carries it and then like drops it on the stairs and i wish she did more with that but i'm like i can't think of many other actors men or women who will be able to like in stride running upstairs grab even like a lightweight folding table and like just carry it effortless way that she does like yeah. it just i'm like oh man like that's the kind of thing where like it almost feels like what do you think you could like what skills do you think you like could you do this she's like oh yeah i can do that and like just does it and it's like oh man like i wish like she somehow like carried it up more or, like use it as a weapon instead of just like dropping it on the stairs this is more realistic but the fact that she's able to do that at all was just like oh yeah like this is good it does feel at times like there are moments where it's like well like here's the scene here's how it plays like what can you do like right, do you see right. anything like cool that maybe you'd think of and that's where i feel like the wall walk came from yeah. improv fighting that like a couple of things like maybe even in the diner where she's like well or someone may have been just like well why didn't you smash the you know have the waitress come over and smash the pot over the guy say I mean I haven't read the script so I can't you know confirm any of this stuff but it does feel like there are these 
touches like in the moment like she's adapting to her environment and using what's around her and specifically something i've never seen not like that she uses as a weapon but like something i've never seen in a fight before she uses the dry cleaning rack as like this sort of weapon yeah, yeah, where yeah. she like starts it up and then like emerges from it and it's like yeah. whoa like you know now i guess every time you go you pick up dry cleaning or whatever you have to think like is somebody in there like ready to jump out and attack me <laughs> One of my favorite moments, maybe my favorite moment, I don't know, there's a lot of them in here, but something I've never seen or can't remember ever really seeing played out like this in a movie before. There's a slow chase right after she calls her dad, I think it is, and she's like trying to make her way back to America. She notices that she's being tailed across the street by like a bald yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And they're just walking for and like walking and walk and they're just walking more. It's like Lord of the Rings how much they're walking. It's crazy, but it's amazing because it's such a tense moment because any second they're just gonna burst into a full sprint. And I just can't recall like ever seeing this like this movie just takes its time to play these bits out, you know, where like they would just fly by as moments in other movies, they're stretched to like full scenes in this one. Yeah, he's doing some of the same procedural stuff that he did in Contagion in terms of watching a person really good at their job do their job. And I will always find that so satisfying. I think especially if it's a job you don't know a lot about, like virus hunting or in this case... Contract you know, killing. Contract killing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She is. yeah, yeah. There's something I just love to see that. And, and he has such an interest in how that work is done and how, yeah, spy, you know, spy stuff isn't always just running full tilt. Like sometimes you just walk and that that's the best thing to do in that moment and there's the tension just ratchets up as they do that in that scene even though all they're doing is walking down the street i can't remember exactly where i saw it online i think it was actually a while back there was this episode one review by red letter media and the guy was trying to explain action and he's like you know action isn't always explosions it can just be like someone walking down a hallway it depends on the context you know and i feel like this is a great example of that one thing that i like that everybody is good at what they do here but other people sometimes underestimate other people and i sort of got a real matrix vibe here uh, toward the end of the movie someone says about her you shouldn't think of her as a woman that would be a mistake and i remember like the beginning of the matrix where the cops like oh we sent two units they're bringing her down now and agent smith's like no lieutenant your men are already dead you think that you're just fighting this girl right like this you know this pretty girl in the dress or you know trinity like this little girl in like in leather or whatever but like no like they're more powerful than you can ever imagine they're better at their job than you could ever give them credit for don't be dumb. I love how she's wearing the face paint in her dad's house during that whole assault. It reminded me of Schwarzenegger in Commando. And it kind of, like, again, it was just another one of those moments where it was like, in Commando, like, it's only used because it makes him look cooler. Like, there's, he's in full view. He's not sneaking around. He's literally running in there with rocket launchers, you know, and, like, machine guns and grenades. But this makes sense. This type of camouflage for this occasion, I was like, okay, I finally understand why anyone would... Would, you know, put this on their face like that. Like, it's not just to look cool. Like, it's actually <laughs> tactical. Yeah, it reminded me of the end of Apocalypse Now. Yeah, yeah. That might be a better one because, like, she's completely unhinged at the end when she looks at her dad. You know, it's like she's yeah, at yeah, war. Yeah. She is not there. She's, like, lost and in, in the shit. But, no, I like the Commando one, too. I like that. That's good. Another thing I really like about this movie is sort of the understated dialogue. I think this goes back to what we were saying earlier about Lem Dobbs, but like there's there's two lines I wrote down when she and Scott are driving around in the car. He says to her, I just got this car like a couple of weeks ago. And she's just like, yeah, well, 
Like, that's all she says. She's just like, yeah, well, I mean, like, you, know, you had a nice run. And, like, a little bit later, you know, after, like, that's after she Tokyo drifts basically into that gate and drives through the forest. Then the deer crashes into the car and he turns and he's like, oh my God, there's a deer in the car. And she's like, yeah, I know. That's it. Like, I feel like you could probably count the number of words she says outside of maybe that scene at the end with her dad where she's explaining things to him and maybe explaining a couple things to the car. She can't say that many words in this movie, but she says enough. She's not letting her words speak for her. It's perfect. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like the other way around, like her lack of speech or small talk or whatever like defines her it's like she has nothing to contribute to that like she's evading you know potential pursuers like whatever like i didn't even she probably barely heard him like that first time about the car and she's just so practical about stuff too where it's just like yeah it's a deer like i see the deer i was like why would you even comment on that like obviously i have eyes right (laughs) i just get that that's you know just part of her personality and i love that about her It, it works for her job like it's almost like a skill in and of itself just to see things the way they are and that's expanded to the whole movie too like i don't know if you guys caught it because i think it works both times but i didn't remember the beginning when i got to the end but the first and the last line of this movie are the same it's just somebody saying shit and it's when she's in the diner and she sees channing tatum show up and she's like oh no like this is the start of something bad and then at the very very end the last line of the movie she jumps down off the roof and antonio banderas is just like oh but we don't see her take him out we just know what's coming but the first and the last line going from i guess you know the hero to the villain it's it's a nice little full circle just ah shit just nothing good is going to come of this the hunted has become the hunter and has found the previous animal hunting it (laughs) yeah there's there's something too about each fight that comes so i haven't seen this for a number of years that each fight that comes up like when when she says shit and chan kidden walks in i'd forgotten he was in this movie and then i'm like oh i remember this fight and then it was even better than i remembered and then fossbender shows up and i'm like yeah i remember fossbender being in this movie and i think they have a really great fight in a hotel room and then it's even better than i than i remember like each one that came it was like oh right this person's in it too and this moment is awesome or or the moment she has this tete-a-tete with um uh, michael douglas michael douglas in the hangar in front of the airplane yeah yeah when he's basically like you want this g5 <laughs> yeah and she like buzzes in on her motorcycle and he's in silhouette there and they have this this exchange and we don't know if we can trust him and she doesn't know if she can trust him and all we know is that she can handle herself in this world and and she sort of negotiates to go back into government service to help retrieve her good name but only after she tracks down ewan mcgregor and figures out who all betrayed her and puts an end to it all there's something, even that scene too, which is more of a mental fight, right? Like they don't lay a hand on each other, but it's uh, it's the same kind of thing where the emotional stakes are so clear and she turns out to be as good at negotiating as he does when this is supposed to be his big thing. In the same way that she turns out to be as good or better than all these men in terms of her sort of physical ability. I find that scene after scene, I, I had that experience of saying, oh, right, this one, this is great. And then it turned out to be even better than I remembered. See, you love this movie. I do. No, I do. I love this movie movie. Look, you have this at number three, and right now Mike has it at number five, and I have it at number seven, but it could just as easily be five, six, or seven for me. I think that Aaron Brockovich, Contagion, and Haywire could could swap places on a moment's notice for me. These are all four and a half star movies as far as I'm concerned. And This I guy has made some pretty good movies. He really has, right? He, and, and varied movies. For all the things that we pull out that are similar, there there's a lot of variety here, too. And he seems to get on a streak. Like, when he's hot, he's hot. You know, I think of like the limey Aaron Brockovich traffic and oceans all sort of coming out in a row and like the last few movies we've done I feel have been you know it's like Contagion then this then Magic Mike's is coming up and, and also side effects too like don't forget about the amazing side effects 
he's on a hot streak, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm <laughs> so, so thankful. <laughs> so this movie had a budget of $23 million. It made 33 so it didn't make a ton. It made it made its money back. Mike, you will be interested to know that it's opening weekend. It came in sixth. The number one movie that week was a new movie, Underworld Awakening, your favorite film oh. franchise. Oh, yes. You know it is. Number five is Beauty and the Beast re-released in 3D, and Ewan McGregor was in the new Beauty and the Beast in 2017. So a little bit of a connection there, question mark. And then uh, one movie that did better than this that I don't know if I saw. I don't remember if I saw or not. Contraband, which feels like... Oh, yeah. Marky you, Mark. Yeah. If you went to the theater, you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, wait, that's another Kate Beckinsale movie. Kate Beckinsale holding it down in January 2012. Look at that. I feel like Contraband and Haywire are sort of similar enough titles. They're kind of vaguely menacing. It's just like, oh, I don't I don't remember which one I'm supposed to see, but this one's got Mark Wahlberg, so like, let's go see this one instead. I don't know if it's a thought process that literally anyone had, but I can see it as a possibility. Oh, sure, sure. Now that my memory is being jogged, somewhere around 2011, I think didn't Zoe Saldana also have some sort of assassin film out as well uh, that was uh, along the lines of like a La Femme Nikita thing, but I, don't, I can't recall the name of it. So, Colombiana? Yeah, Colombiana. That's yeah. the one, yeah. yeah. 2011, Colombiana. Oh, Luke Besson wrote that. So that's why you're thinking La Femme Nikita. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Check it out now. So two things, two other notes I have about this, just from IMDb. Gina Carano, obviously uh, an MMA fighter, obviously in great shape, but she did a six-week intensive tactical training course with an ex-Israeli special ops fighter. Was it Gail Godot? No, Aaron Cohen. (laughs) She spent three hours a day in stunts and three hours a day with him during a particularly harrowing two-week period when he was teaching her the art of surveillance and counter-surveillance. He and his team tracked her via a GPS system they installed in her car. They gave her a prop pistol to use as defense and intercepted her as she was coming out of a hair salon. She said, quote, I just got extensions and was feeling so pretty and there he was. He taught me entry and exiting a building, clearing a room. He put a GPS in my car. He like followed me around. He had me stalking people. He had people stalking me. They just put me with a soldier who had never done a film before either. We were just a soldier and a fighter thrown together in these unique circumstances and got to know each other's backgrounds. I think that was the biggest part of my preparation. Wow, that's awesome. Because you got to think like she's proficient in fighting and running and lifting weights but shooting guns who knows i don't you know her history in that and yeah actual like fighting to not hurt somebody right to movie fighting too and all that kind of stuff i think about the training yeah that's crazy although she does arm bar channing tatum in the opening scene at one point like to get the gun away she does put him in an arm bar so like you know even if that's movie fighting that still probably hurts him so it also just feels like way out of control like preparation too like what what did the people at the hair salon think when like this guy showed up to kidnap her or whatever (laughs) And she's just like busting through the back door and like kicking open windows. Oh, but wait, there's more. According to Gina Carano, this is when they were filming the movie in that fight with Michael Fassbender. She was supposed to throw the vase at the wall behind him, but had an adrenaline rush and instead smash it against his head. She said, Fassbender's crazy. He loves that shit. He had no problem slamming me into anything. Actually, Steven Soderbergh told him once, we need to get this shot better when you slam her head into the wall. And I was like, damn, that thing's not soft. Soderbergh's behind the camera. He's being really mischievous. He wants something bad to happen. Anyway, we were going for it. And Fassbender slammed my head so hard into the wall, I kind of lost it for a second. I kind this this is so funny. I kind of slammed a vase right into his face, but he said he knew it was coming because he saw a flash in my eyes. And right after that happened, I thought, I'm so fired. I'm going to lose this job because that was the first fight scene we did. But Fassbender, he loved 
loved training for the fight scenes. So I love that, you know, as we talked about earlier, he's not this, like, movie star yet, but he's this guy who's in five big movies this year and, like, you know, up and coming. And then she takes, you know, a prop vase, but instead of throwing it at a wall, smashes it on his head and just like, oh, no. But I love that that's, like, sort of like, you know, the cage fighter in her. Like, she's gets her head slammed against the wall and like suddenly she's in the ring and like she's not on a movie set and she's like oh no i need to kill this person there are two good making ofs on the dvd one of us is about her training regimen you see her with this former israeli soldier who trains her and channing tatum shows up he's training him as well and you talked about how the training like the stuff that you're describing there where they're tracking her and and like jumping her and stuff was that the people who do this work for a living have to every moment they live and breathe being ready for anything and that's a thing you can't sort of turn on and off you have to sort of build into your into your nervous system into your into your muscles and everything and there's a lot of interviews with that guy and shots of them practicing you know clearing a building and discharging weapons and all kinds of cool things and then the same thing you see the breakdown in the other one you see breakdown of some of the fights and you can see Spoderberg and her and Fassbender working through that fight and how some of that stuff came together it's it's really kind of fascinating they also make a point saying there Fassbender didn't have a double for any of any of that fight it's him in in every shot and I, as i recall they released that fight before the movie like they released that as i know joe you don't watch trailers but they released that fight in its entirety up until she kills him i think it's a, when she had him on the ground they released that as a clip before the movie and i remember seeing that before the movie thinking wow this is intense <laughs> they are really going at each other and you could to see them sort of prepping for that was really cool I understand that as a marketing tool to get people excited, but at the same time, I watched today, and this is today in November 2017, not March 2018 when this comes out, but I watched today the trailer for Atomic Blonde, the Red Band trailer, and in that three-minute trailer, there's at least a solid minute of that nine-minute stairway fight. And it's like, okay, like, this is cool, but, like, you just ruined part of, you know, like, I, I want to experience that for the first time in the movie. And I know that's my weird neuroses or whatever, but like, I don't know, like, I love that as a marketing idea, but like, I don't want to see that and have this part ruined because like, it kind of, like you were saying earlier, Tobin, she's preparing for this fight, but she's doing it in a way that he doesn't know what she's doing and we don't know what she's doing. And if we don't know that's coming, it's like, oh, wow. But like, if you like, oh, this is where they're in that outfit and that outfit and we're in this hotel room and this is where that fight comes. And it's just like, yeah, okay. So I love it. I love the idea that they just like, hey, like this is and it's, it's a good representation of the movie. But again, that's why my motto of don't watch trailers comes into play. Yeah, I'm not trying to talk you into watching a trailer. I just thought that they knew they had something really special. Like, that I scene. just want to I want to say I love trailers. I love trailers. And I, I it hurts me that I can't watch trailers, but I'd rather experience the movie. And then after I watch the movie, like after I see a Star Wars movie every year, I go back and I watch the 20 minutes of trailers that they've released just so I can see how it was marketed. And like because they show like cool clips and they're all like really well edited and stuff but, like I want to I want to see it in the movie but I do love trailers I hear you I think I think Atomic Blonde was is pretty apt too because also in that trailer they have like the her belt fight where like it just goes on and on and on you know and you're like this is awesome because it's really well shot and it's not cutting but it's also like oh now you know like yeah this the part where she ties the belt around the guy and jumps out a window like Machete did with the intestines and stuff <laughs> and it's cool and stuff but right it's a little spoiled but you know, it's kind of funny. Also, you mentioning Atomic Blonde, like, we didn't bring that up at the beginning of the episode when we were talking about sort of modern-day Haywire. But, like, that is sort of along this line, I feel. It's a spy espionage action 
movie, you know? The only thing missing is sort of, I guess, you know, the revenge thing. I guess that's in there, too. I don't know. I guess it's a little different because Charlize isn't an MMA fighter, and we're not using, you know, people without acting backgrounds, but I do feel like that is the industry saying, we hear you, and we've got this material, you know, and we're trying to develop it. Well, not only that, Mike, but I was also thinking earlier when we were talking about the fights, that scene from Two Days in the Valley where where Charlize fights Terry Hatcher, it's like, yeah, there are badass women fights in movies and like we said on that episode, Tobin, you haven't heard it yet because it's not out. Future Tobin will have heard it. Current Tobin has not because it's not out yet. <laughs> Terry Hatcher does not look like the kind of woman who would be able to like hold her own in a fight. And like there's this fight in Two Days in the Valley where she and Charlize just go at it. You're like, oh my God. If you could have a woman, like an actress who is like, you know, petite and sort of, you know, not this like menacing figure like Charlize can be. But like, you don't look at Terry Hatcher and be like, oh, like she can kick my ass. But like in this movie, she can. Basically, moral of the story, give women more fights in movies because they can do it. Here, here. That gets to something I wanted to say, too, as we come near the end here. One of the experiences I had, not to give it away, because there'll be a Wonder Woman podcast on the Cage Club Network before too long. Well, it already came out. If it comes out second, it will have been out two weeks ago. Episode three of your podcast comes out tomorrow. Okay, so you guys can go listen to it now. So I'm going to rehash something that I said a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Oh, no, this is going to spoil the podcast for me that I'm going to be on. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, close your ears then again. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Very briefly, I had the experience when I went to go see Wonder Woman that I've heard other people have had too. As the movie opened, I thought, I did not know how much... I needed this. I did not know how much I was missing seeing this female warrior protagonist just kick ass and unashamedly. And, you know, like there's something that was so it was very, very sort of emotional moment when I realized I just never knew that I wanted it, that I was needing it, that I had been sort of starved of it for so long and denied it. Yeah, denied it. Yeah. And I got that same sense in this movie again, watching this. I did not know how much I wanted to see this. I did not know how good it would feel to watch this woman who does not need help from anybody. I mean, sure, she gets some help from her dad, but like, not really. I mean, you know, he, he he's an ally, but he's not saving her in any way. In fact, there's one great moment in that house where he comes up and you think, oh, he's now he's going to go like, this is the moment where she's almost going to be killed. He comes at the last minute and saves her. And instead, he just stands in the hallway and watches her finish off this guy upstairs. And it's so, I don't keep using this word, but it's so satisfying and hit that same spot for me that like, I didn't know how much I was missing this or didn't have this, how much I got from this that I needed. And I, yeah, I had that experience here with this, with this movie too. Well, something that I said also on that podcast from two weeks ago is that when I watched Wonder Woman, like I had no idea, like I was not prepared for the fact that I was going to grin from ear to ear in every fight scene. Like that's not something that's not an emotion I expected to have, but just to see her be so empowered and so awesome and so great. The action scenes in that movie are great. I think the, like they're completely different from the action scenes in this movie, but it's just like that sense of, oh, this is something that we haven't seen, but why haven't we seen it? Like there's no reason for it to not have existed, but it just didn't exist. And I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I was looking for. It made you wonder. Oh, I'm cutting uh, that. <laughs> Don't worry. No, keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. You got to. Got to. Tobin, any last thoughts about Haywire that you don't want to burn before your uh, your contenders episode of it? No, no. I, I, no. I'm. I urge people to go see it. I mean, to go rent it. I guess to go seek it out. To go watch it. Buy one. it, man. Just, just yeah, own go this buy one. it. Go buy it. Yeah. <laughs> You won't regret it. Plus, also, another thing that I like about it is it's short. It's only like 92 minutes. I almost put it on again a second time today because I was just like, oh, I can just watch this again because it's 
good and it's brisk and there's not downtime. I mean, like the downtime, if you're if you're waiting for an action movie, like you're saying, the downtime might be like the espionage stuff. There's no lulls. Like there's no room for lulls. It's just yeah. this is the movie. Get with it. Mike, any last thoughts about Haywire? To reiterate how much I love this movie, it's almost like simplicity at its best from time to time. It, it's got very few flaws. The ones that are here are, are, I only consider flaws because my standards are absurd. And, you know, the rest <laughs> of the movie is so incredible. I'm like, oh, this this music isn't exactly the way I want it to be. But, you know, it's still incredible. Check it out. Like, I'm just really excited that we're on the hot streak again and yeah i mean this is it's going to be a fun next couple shows yeah so to see the recent hot streak editions and to prepare yourself for the next few movies in the hot streak you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on twitter you can subscribe rate and review this podcast on itunes on stitcher on google play on overcast basically anywhere that gets a feed from itunes or one of those other places you can go listen to this podcast follow us on twitter at cageclubpod like our facebook page facebook.com slash cage club email us cinemakers at cageclub.me i don't know go do stuff we have other shows so in february so this is exciting as we're recording this i think since the last time we recorded one of these we have announced the launch date of the contenders tobin's podcast with his sister not his wife with his sister and that started although although oddly my wife is going to be on the the haywire episode i'm very excited for that so yeah Lots of things for you to listen to at cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter. Go listen to The Contenders. Go listen to Third Time's a Charm. All of our other shows. Watch The Throne still going strong. Magic Mike's. We'll get to this movie in, I don't know, like a two years, probably. Chantin made a bunch of movies, you guys. There's a lot of time between the time he starts <laughs> and the time he gets here. So it's coming eventually. Cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter. Email cinemakers at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time on Cinemakers. Cinemakers.